Lord God, open up our ears, open up our eyes, open up our hearts, that we might receive your word. Amen. Our sermon text today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Hear now the word of the Lord. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, you faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, this kind can only come out through prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Have you ever had the experience of going on a, a vacation or a little getaway where you could just forget about everything? Where you could leave all your troubles and your worries behind, get a little rest and rejuvenation and, and filled with a new energy and, and, and optimism? And then you return from this wonderful escape with peaceful music ringing in your ears, only to discover that everything had completely fallen apart while you were away. The project you've been working so hard on at work was now in shambles, the boss is upset, the kids are all fighting, the spouse is complaining, your stocks are all tumbling, 
and you finally crawl into bed exhausted that night and all the fire alarms start chirping because the batteries are dead. Or worse, one of them starts chirping and you can't figure out which one. Welcome back. Now I suspect that this must have been what Jesus was feeling like in our text this morning. See, he just taken a little spiritual getaway up in the mountains with Peter, James, and John. They were going on this little retreat together, and while they were up there, Jesus underwent this transfiguration. His face began to shine like the sun. His clothes became a, a dazzling white. And then Elijah and Moses appeared there with them and started talking with Jesus. I mean, imagine getting a pep talk from those guys. And then a cloud came and, and, and overshadowed them all, and then a voice from this cloud, just like at Jesus' baptism, a voice so familiar and so precious to Jesus said, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Talk about affirmation. So even though Jesus knew what awaited him in Jerusalem, surely in hearing those words, he was renewed in his identity, strengthened in his faith, and recharged to fulfill the mission that his father had sent him to do. But then Jesus comes back down the mountain from this spiritual retreat, his father's voice still ringing in his ears, only to find that everything had gone to pot while he was away. When he finds the other disciples, they are having a yelling match with some of the religious leaders and causing quite a scene. Turns out that a man had come looking for Jesus to heal his son who was possessed by an unclean spirit. But since Jesus was not there, the disciples had each taken their turn at trying to cast this demon out, and they had all failed badly. Jesus had only been gone for a little while, and they had already blown it. And I'm sure that those scribes were really sticking it to disciples for their failure to heal this boy. And we all know what it's like when somebody rubs our noses in our failures, don't we? And so as we often do when our egos are bruised or when we feel powerless, they began to argue, something the followers of Jesus have continued to excel at to this day. So Jesus looks at the disciples and he asks, what are you arguing about? But none of them respond probably because they're all too busy trying to avoid his gaze. But then a man from the crowd speaks up and says that he'd come to find Jesus because his boy was possessed by a spirit that, that, that would send him into convulsions, causing him to, to foam at the mouth and grind his teeth and become rigid. Kind of sounds like a typical day in Congress to me, but, but maybe... Maybe that's just what happens to any of us when we spend too much time arguing and not enough time listening to Jesus. Truth is, we all struggle with 
demons of one sort or another, don't we? Unclean spirits that prevent us from being fully alive as God intended. These demons, they they take over our lives and they control our actions and our thoughts. They go by so many names. Addiction, fear, greed, guilt, illness, jealousy, lust, pride, resentment, shame, ambition. I wonder, what's the name of the one that most controls you? Whatever it is, God did not create us to live in captivity to these demonic spirits because they distort and destroy the image of God within us. But that is precisely what Jesus came to restore. Now, when Jesus learns that his disciples had been unable to cast out this demon, he says, oh, you faithless generation, how long must I put up with you? which was his way of comparing them to the generation of Israelites in the wilderness, who despite all the incredible miracles that God performed right in front of their eyes, they continued to struggle in their faith, and they were constantly complaining and arguing with Moses. And so then Jesus finally just says, bring the boy to me. And they do, which is the first thing that the disciples got right. They brought the boy to Jesus. You know, I suspect that there are a few things that exasperate Jesus more than when his followers try to operate on their own without relying on him. You and I are not the source of power, and we cannot give anyone life. Only Jesus can do that. Our mission is to bring the world's pain and suffering and hopelessness and place it in front of the risen Savior who alone has the power to do something about it. Part of our problem is that so often we go through our lives as practical atheists. We say that we believe in God and we call ourselves Christians and may even come to church on Sunday mornings, but and so often we go through the rest of our week living as if there is no God, as if Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead and always with us, as if Jesus' promises and his commands do not apply at work or at school or at home or in our politics. And surely there's nowhere we abandon Jesus more quickly than when it comes to our politics but we act as if we're on our own to figure life out, to to get ourselves to the right place in life, to, to battle demons and save lives. But again, you and I are not the Savior. And the only hope that we bring for our world and those we love is to lead them to the one who is. Well, when they finally brought that boy to Jesus and the Spirit saw him, it immediately caused the boy to go into convulsions and foam at the mouth on the ground. 
rather than healing the boy right away, instead Jesus starts taking the boy's medical history from the father. So, how long has this been going on? Since childhood. All right, wow. And you say it often throws him in the fire. Yikes. The water too. Wow. All the while, the kid is flopping around the ground and foaming at the mouth. And so often, when we bring our, our concerns and our prayers to Jesus, we wonder why he doesn't do something about it right away. I mean, doesn't he see all the things going wrong in our world and in our lives, like this boy convulsing on the ground? But notice in the Gospels, Jesus is never in a hurry. And he doesn't get worked up by many of the things that we do. Maybe it's because he knows something that we don't. Maybe it's because he just has so much trust in his father who always has another move to make, even when it appears to be hopeless. For what looks to us to be a dead end is often but an opportunity for new life in the hands of the Savior. And maybe, maybe he's just waiting to see what we're going to do next. Is prayer simply our first line of attack? And when that doesn't seem to be going the way we want, then we would resort to other more atheistic methods of fixing things ourselves, which usually ends up in more arguing? Or do we draw even closer to Jesus as we wait, putting our trust in him, even when things don't appear to be working out the way that we want? Is Jesus just our first option? Or is he our only hope? Well, after sharing his son's condition with Jesus, the boy's father begins pleading with him, saying, if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. If you are able, Jesus says, all things can be done for the one who believes. And the father in his desperation cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. Has there ever been a more honest prayer than that? The truth is, there is a believer and an unbeliever inside each one of us, isn't there? I mean, you and I would not be here today if there was not some flower of faith growing within us, and yet our faith is riddled with so much uncertainty and doubt. I mean, we just have so many questions, don't we, about what we believe? But here's the thing. The most important question in your life is not, what do you believe? Let me say that again. The most important question in your life is not, what do you believe? No, the real question, the question with eternal significance is, in whom do you believe? In whom do you trust? In whose hands will you place your life? In whose hands will you place your death? 
The content of the Christian faith is not primarily a list of items on a creed to which we must intellectually agree. No, the content of our faith, the source of our salvation, the central truth of all creation is not a what, but a who. Not a philosophy, but a person. And his name is Jesus. And it is in him that we believe. And Jesus can handle our faltering faith that both believes and unbelieves. Because it's not really our faith that saves, but his. When Jesus tells the boy's father that all things can be done for the one who believes, Surely he was talking supremely about himself. I mean, after all, who believed in God more than Jesus? And he spent every moment of his life in deep and intimate communion with Father, with his Father. And that filled him with life-giving faith. Faith that carried him literally all the way to hell and back. Jesus is the one who believes. And he believes for us. It is his faith that believes when we struggle with unbelief. It is his faith that carries us through our dark nights when ours is riddled with fear and uncertainty. It is his faith that brings freedom and healing and new life when demonic forces hold us captive because all things can be done for Jesus, the one who believes. And if, like this boy's father, we will cast ourselves at Jesus' mercy and put our faith in him, even if it's mixed with unbelief, that's good enough for Jesus. And so Jesus commands this unclean spirit to come out of the boy And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, the spirit came out, leaving the boy as if he were dead. But then Jesus reached down, took the boy by the hand, and raised him up from death to new life. I mean, that's why Jesus came, isn't it? to defeat on the cross the power of the enemy at work in our lives and to be raised from the dead so that we might share in his eternal life just as he invites us to share in his mission to reclaim this demon-possessed world for the kingdom of God. Without prayer, however, we can do nothing. When the disciples later asked Jesus why they couldn't cast the spirit out, Jesus said it had to come out through prayer. Now, to be sure, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to just pray but not act, to just sit back and wait for Jesus to work miracles. Now, I think Jesus expects us to do everything we can to help bring healing to this broken world and its broken people. He just doesn't expect us to do it on our own strength in our own power. But he wants us to stay so close to him in prayer that he is able to work through us using our lives 
and our resources to bring food to the hungry and clothes to the naked and hope to the hopeless and life to the lifeless. That's why Jesus has brought you here. And he believes in you. But the only way you're going to be of any use to Jesus and his mission is if you learn to place your life prayerfully into his hands, even when you struggle to believe, especially then. Notice, however, Despite Jesus' explanation to his disciples, nowhere in the text does it say that Jesus stopped and prayed. I think it's because, really, Jesus' whole life was a prayer. Again, he spent every day in intimate and dependent trust in his Father. And that's what prayer is really all about, staying close to God and trusting him with our lives. And because Jesus did so, he remained clear about his identity and his purpose, and he believed his father's words, this is my son, the beloved. And the most important thing for you to believe is that you too are the beloved of God. So beloved that on the cross, Jesus was literally dying to love you because he couldn't bear the thought of spending eternity without you. And if you really believe that, if we all really believe that, then maybe, just maybe, we would spend a lot less time arguing and a lot more time in prayer listening to Jesus. Amen.